There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Black ball. Black, black, black ball. What is up, everybody? My name is James DeFiore, and this is Blackballed. The Ottawa protests, they created an ecosystem of new activists and new journalists. Well, at least new as far as the ether was concerned in Canada. And one of those people is my guest today. Um, I have two guests today. I didn't put the other guest in the promo. It was the last minute edition. Um, but I want to get down to it because um, the two guests that I have today have a, a kind of different angle uh, on what the contests in Ottawa were all about. Um, was it about freedom and liberty or was it about a political operation where people were you, uh, people who had gathered in Ottawa for liberty and freedom um, as sort of like pawns in a political game. And we are going to see if we can sort of answer those questions today. My guests are Andy Lee and whistleblower and self-professed political fixer, David Wallace. Welcome to the show, guys. How are you doing? Good. It's good to be here. Good. Thanks for having us. Good to see you. Um, Andy, I'm going to start with you. Um, we, you've been on the show before, and we talked a little bit about how you were basically embedded inside the convoy. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, that's, that's pretty fair. I mean, I, I kept under the radar for the most part. Uh, you know, I, I joined it in Calgary, and, um, you know, I, I was concerned about some things, and I was also really um, enchanted by some, some things. So I decided to, you know, follow them all the way to Ottawa and go all the way to the crackdown. Um, and you you covered the protest there. I, but was it your footage? I, I, I think I get this mixed up sometimes. But was it your footage of the horse stepping on that protester was that your footage or were you just really close to that when it happened no i was there um i've actually got different footage from a different angle i was talking to ctv right before that happened and i actually got pepper sprayed so there's there's a video out there of me getting pepper sprayed which is a lot of fun uh it's a good Hot. <laughs> it's a good memory the whole experience and yeah. and what happened right when when you sort of do these sorts of things so um, yeah, so I didn't have that really close-up footage. No, I was further back in the crowd. 
Okay. But you walked away from the Ottawa protests, and it seemed like you were pretty staunchly in the camp of um, Trudeau is behaving like sort of dictator light. Um, the people that were assembled there were largely peaceful. And to be perfectly honest with you, I sort of feel the same way. Like, I, I did not see that as a violent protest. I thought it was disruptive in a way that we had never seen before with the truck horns. I There was a part of me that thought it was a little hypocritical because I'm fairly certain a large swath of the people that were there were really gung-ho to end the blockade protest that First Nations protesters were involved with not too uh, far before that. But at the end of the day, you, you walked mm-hmm. away sort of, you, you had like a new audience and you had like a new way of sort of looking at what our democracy is all about. Am I off on that or is that roughly what where, where your mind was at? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I started I started following them because um, I was worried early on about some of the rhetoric I saw coming out from our government and about MSM. Um, they seemed determined to villainize these people. And so when I actually went and I thought, I'm going to meet them in person and see what they're all about. Um, and when I met them, I, I actually, um, I felt like they were very vulnerable to uh, you know, being villainized and being slandered. And that was what was already happening. And this was long before we were in Ottawa, right? These were when the initial convoys were just meeting up at meeting places. So um, I sort of felt obligated to uh, go with them and, and try to be honest. And it was, you know, I thought it was largely one of the most successful protests that, that the world has ever seen, probably, in its uniqueness, its scale, um, you know, in the way that people conducted themselves. Was there bad behavior? Was there rowdy behavior? Sure, there, there was that too, right? Um, but I thought that, by and large, for what it was, it was, you know, an incredible phenomenon and it was tremendously successful and it didn't necessarily deserve to be painted in, in the light that it was painted in. And so I sort of made it my mission to go along with them and, and try to debunk stories. And I did debunk a lot of stories, right? I mean, I debunked the Ottawa Orson horse. That was, you know, I did that with John Kay and, and Marco Mendocino is still using that you know, during the Emergencies Act inquiry, right? He's still following Yeah, the funny thing was, is that that was like an attempt by actual like documented communists not to not to belabor that point but it was actually like an attempt at this like microcosmic version of a false flag operation like they they wanted to set the building on fire and blame it on the convoy protesters um and yeah i was with you on that i i know jonathan k and uh i i saw his tweets on that and actually it was his tweets that made me familiar with um with first of all I, I take my lead sometimes from journalists like John Kay when it comes to let's wait for the evidence and then see what's going on. It was too reflexive, I thought, that people were just like, oh, a fire got started in a building in Ottawa? Protesters? Like, it just seemed a little bit too convenient. Um, but yeah, that, that that was good work. It was really weird. Like, the police, because I, I talked to Jim Ellis and I was like, I was the first one, of course, my account got censored, right, shortly thereafter. But I was like, Jim, how did you just you just happen upon this story in Twitter, right? Like nobody reported this to the police or what's going on here, right? So the whole thing was bizarre. But yeah, I mean, it's I think it's indicative of a, a probably a bigger problem is that and anybody can do it and anybody can fall, fall victim to it are, you know, false reporting and, and our tendency to want to jump onto stories <coughs> if they, you know, massage our confirmation bias, right? We all like that. Yeah. Um, I, I thought I, I saw that on both sides, though. I, I saw a lot of like, like there were there were concern. And David, I'm going to pivot to you now. But there were conservatives um, that were like sitting MPs that were uh, posting stories about a supply chain crisis. 
Um, yes. It was a false story. Since the beginning of the pandemic, there has been concerns about the supply chain, but that had been going on for a year already before the protest started. And they just decided to like take stock photos of grocery stores in the UK. And they were hilarious photos. There's one photo of a woman. She's sitting there like this. But she's looking at empty shelves as if it's taking her forever to realize that the shelves are empty. And I was, so it wasn't even good stock footage. But David, I, I want to pivot to you because you have a totally different take on what started the convoy protest and how it fomented. And I think the way that you described it on my show, uh, or actually I think it was Dean's show, but on the phone with me, is that there was an organic movement that was really small. And then what you said is that the uh, political op operatives then built a superstructure around it. Can you go into detail about that? Uh, sure. Um, <clears throat> I believe the convoy um, is genuine in every way, but I also believe it's false in every way. The genuine movement, the people, the genesis that got it started uh, are probably to this day um, not fully aware of what strings were pulled. Um, the movement starts out, um, it gets a little bit of steam on social media. These people now have it down to a science. We're talking algorithms. They know that a movement, when it's picking up steam, this is something that can be steered. It's steered through social media. It's steered through what stories get printed in the paper. It's steered through what shows talk about on the radio or MSN. And the media in this country is predominantly controlled by conservative interests. And I'm not talking about the conservative party. I'm talking about neoconservative interests and industry, such as a corporation that owns a star newspaper, uh, post media. We are talking about major media voices. These are the voices that your mother and father hear. This is what they believe because these are the voices they hear on their television at night, just before they turn it off to go to bed. And that opinion, once it gets seated, it, it's, it's not coming out of there. It becomes a belief. So an organic movement such as this convoy is a perfect opportunity to leech onto and throw your resources behind. The people who organized it were probably completely unaware they were being steered. And these people, despite their, their, their intentions, maybe a, an overall plan at the beginning of the convoy, probably found themselves compromising a great deal along the way because the group consensus was pushing them in one direction. And that group, con group consensus was being manufactured by operatives. And I don't dispute that the protesters were peaceful. They were peaceful almost entirely. And I know the incidences of violence that were perpetrated happened because there were other bad actors, but they didn't happen to be from the protest. They were bad actors who were affiliated with the protest, but were working for the office of the PMO and the local police and intelligence agencies. And when there were claims of perhaps gunshots, there were real bullets, but those bullets probably weren't fired by anybody in the convoy. Would you say then, David, that there were um, bad actors on both sides? And, and so the, the, the convoy... The political political operatives that that you say were partially were at least responsible for steering um, unbeknownst protesters we, uh, that to combat that uh, the uh, authorities and 
what you just said, the PMO, I'd like you to sort of explain that a little bit more, but that they fought those bad actors with their own bad actors, like agent provocateurs, that type of thing? Not really. How do you make somebody look like they're cowardly? How do you make somebody look like a, a hothead? How do you make somebody look like they're seizing power and, and wielding it like a dictator? How do you make somebody look indecisive? Well, if he orders certain things or, or the government asks certain authorities to move in such a way and those authorities have been infiltrated and they move in an entirely different way and acts of violence occur, what do you do? What I'm saying is this movement is the same movement that is behind these uh, hateful speeches, rhetorics. Uh, um, personally, I I'm waiting for the fire at the Reichstag after I hear Mr. Polavere speak. These are not conservatives. I have no beef with conservatives. I'm not a conservative and I'm, I'm not a liberal, I'm a Canadian. And what I'm saying is conservatives are being painted with a brush. Look at some of these convoy organizers. They're being left to hang and they're patsies. They're patsies. The support rolled in, but now they're rolling out through the news cycle. And because they're really not that wise, they don't know that they were used. They believe passionately in what they did. And again, I'm not saying I disagree with them. They believe passionately in what they did. They believe they did the right thing for Canada. And, and, and they're, they're innocent in that sense. They don't know they were played. People Andy, who think, think they can't that? be played are the easiest people to play. If you think you might be played, then you're on guard. All right. So what I'm saying is these people were pawns and the government of this country is being used as a pawn right now. This isn't a political party that wants to come into power. This is a fascist dictatorship that wants to come into power. Those are strong words, Andy. <laughs> as someone who's referred to Trudeau as a dictator, I believe once or twice in the past. How do you feel about that? I'm trying to just clarify. So are you in, um, indicating that you feel like the conservatives were using them as, as pawns? No, I think conservative, the conservative movement are being used as pawns. Real conservatives are being washed along in a tide of fascism. That's what's happening. And we're proving it. We're proving it through the massive PPE fraud that is being ferreted out right now by hook or by crook by some really talented journalists. This was a crime that was perpetrated because of religious fanaticism and greed. But who is behind that? Just to clarify, who do you th think is behind that religious fanaticism? Um, exactly. Like... What what groups? Just so I'm clarified, I, I'll agree that they're pawns. I think that they were pawns. Um, you know, they were pawns for the media. They were pawns even for the Conservative Party. Um, the Conservative Party. You know, I have some disagreement with how the Conservative Party treated the, these people. Uh, you know, and of course, I've got issues with how the Liberal Party treated them. So I'll agree that they were manipulated and they were pawns, and that's precisely why I joined on to them because I thought, you know, what these people are going to be. Um, played, they're going to be used, their words are going to be twisted, they're going to be villainized, they need protection. And I might be able to provide them some protection. I couldn't protect them from everything, but I protected them from a lot. Um, but the so people that were using them, the people that were using them were not the people that were insulting them. The people that were using them were the people that were steering them. Absolutely. Those are the people, and those are not. That's not a political party. That's a movement. That's a brotherhood. 
are we talking about some of these, you know, these freedom movements that are popping up and there's a lot of them popping up and a lot of them do have, um, you know, religious undercurrents. And, you know, we know that um, I'm not against religion in, in any way, but I'm always suspicious when somebody attaches uh, religion to political cause um, because I feel like religious people, again, um, you know, if you're a real believer, then you'll tend to um, believe what people tell you if they tell you that their political cause is correct um, and, that, and that this is the word of God, then, you know, people tend to manipulate that that power and that belief, right? So I also have a problem with that. So is that the sort of thing that we're talking about here, just to clarify? No, I, no, not really. What I'm talking about is the neocon movement. We're talking about a corporation for all intents and purposes. Gerald Chapur acts as the bagman on this side of the border. Uh, religious extremist cults like the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, and, and you can name dozens and dozens more that are Seventh-day Adventist Church. They're all affiliated. I'm not, I'm not criticizing the people who believe. I'm not criticizing the rank and file. I'm talking about these people who are intimately involved in both politics and the financing of the politics, the fundraising, and drawing these communities together to be used as money laundering operations. And those money launderers then turn around and put their cash back into politicians such as Mr. Uh, Mr. Pulliver, who will rubber stamp their initiatives, such as let's roll back the clock 100 years. Let's uh, let's let's take away a woman's right to decide what she's going to do with her own body. Let's uh, let's take away uh, telling uh, Billy that it's. Uh, it's uh, it's no longer OK. We can't we can't educate other people or other children that it's OK to accept a kid who might be gay or or might have some some other issue he has to do. No, now we have to bury it in the closet so that kid can go shoot up a school. And speaking about shooting up a school, these same people are the ones who are behind the dark cash that flow into our country so we can help finance these manufacturers so their weapons can be bought so they can go and shoot up kids. Those are the people I'm talking about. Okay, so uh, I just want to just in case I can like um, sort of set the table here a little bit. Um, I don't know if you've been following some of the stories that we've been breaking uh, on Black Bald and on the Dean Bondell show, Andy, but um, a lot of it has. To... Sorry. Oh, I haven't probably haven't followed a lot of it. Okay, but but, but a, a lot of the um, a lot of the characters that seem to have been involved with. Uh, at least the fanning of the flames of this protest so that it would mobilize and head to Ottawa and stay there for a thousand years uh, or however long you guys were there for. Um, is connected to people who are intimately involved with uh, a church known as the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church. Okay. Which is, well, you'll, you'll, actually, you know what, David, I won't do it justice like you would. Can you give an elevator pitch on the... Uh, PBCC and its role in politics and the main players like Shapur and stuff like that and how they're affiliated with the Conservative Party? Are you able to do that? Sure. Um, this is a uh, church that has, uh, I believe, 50,000 members worldwide. They're extremely secretive. Uh, think Scientology. Uh, they come with their own fearless leader. They are everywhere in small pockets. They're all conservative. Uh, they don't associate with the world meaning they don't associate with anybody unless they're in the faith, but they have their few select leaders who 
interact with these uh, politicians. They're largely responsible for the rise of Stephen Harper to power. Um, they uh, um, basically hired me through a, uh, a gentleman named Gerald Chapor, who is the lawyer for Mr. Harper. He's the lawyer. He was the lawyer for the conservative party. He's, he's a big dude. Uh, they hired me to hunt down a felon named Richard Marsh. Long story short, turns out he wasn't a felon. He was whistleblower. They wanted me to kidnap him. Um, and, uh, I wasn't cool with that. So we kept him safe. Uh, uh, and Richard, uh, uh, is safe today because we didn't turn him over these whack jobs. And, uh, I got curious. So I started sniffing and I found out that these are the same gentlemen who were behind the convoy, uh, not at start, but it's hijacking, so to speak. Yeah. So, and, and a lot of these, like a lot of these claims, I know if you're hearing them for the first time, Andy, I get that you might feel a little bewildered or even doubtful, but the, the connections between this lawyer, Gerald Shapur and this group are not just like political, they're corporate. They are, he seems to be the conduit or the connecting tissue between uh, government money for PPE and um, the distribution of the PPE through organizations that are owned either wholly or in part by this group. Is that accurate, David? That is, that is correct. And they don't even believe in COVID, which is hilarious, but they're the ones supplying the PPE stuff. So I, I guess what I'm saying is that, are you open, Andy, to the idea that the movement that you were embedded in was really just a case of... Um, of people being kind of manipulated and used like the almost the entire movement itself. Like that doesn't mean that people didn't have passions that they believed in. It's not really about that. It's about being used. It's about using people for their passions. Do, do you find it a little, sorry, I'm cutting myself off here, but do you, do you find it a little weird that um, politics in this country was really, you know, we were all soured by politics in this country. And the victor after the dust settles from the convoy is the conservative party of Canada somehow. Like, doesn't that concern you a little bit? Like, you know, at least Max Bernier was like consistent since he was basically robbed of the leadership of the conservative party a bunch of years ago. He's been consistent. Pierre Polyev used to thumb his nose at the people he's courting now. And I'm just wondering what you, what you think that is about. Um, and, and what your thoughts are on that? Well, like I said, I mean, I, I had problems with everybody who attached themselves to this movement, and I was, you know, suspicious of all of them. And people were probably suspicious of, of me and questioned if I benefited financially, and I didn't, you know, I, I do this for free. Um, I've never made any money off of this and, and things like that. So, um, so did I have a problem with some people attaching themselves to it and getting on board later yes but at the same time i think you know that's the same state that a lot of canadians are in is you know i think we've all got our red pill moments and some of our red pill moments come earlier than others um so and i think that the conservatives realized that you know to to start winning they had to uh, be conservatives again, right? After Aaron O'Toole, he was far too far too liberal. Um, you know, he wasn't right-sided enough. He wasn't getting, you know, the, the right-sided voters and he was losing and, and bleeding them to the PPCs and even bringing them to me. I mean, I ran, right? 
Um, I ran, you know, for, for the Maverick Party for Jay Hill, Stephen Harper's, you know, former host leader. So, um, you know, I think that they, they had a dawning moment where they realized that. Um, and I think that they also realized very much that if they, you know, got on board with this movement and if they did use it in a sense to villainize Justin Trudeau, um, you know, that was it's a very powerful message. And it's a message that's being reverberated throughout the world now. You know, we've got countries all over the world now saying, yeah, Justin Trudeau is an an evil dictator, right? So, I mean, of course they looked at this. But that's not a positive thing. And said, no, I mean, it's never a positive thing because unfortunately we had people who who had very real world repercussions that will stay with them for the rest of their lives, right? I mean, Tamara is always, you know, she's going to carry that with her. Um, And so, I mean, she, but I think that she's smart, you know, she's not stupid. Um, She knew a little bit what was going on you know she knew that uh, she was going to take the fall for this um you know pat king i i I said from the beginning from the get-go pat king should be removed he shouldn't be speaking for this movement um i question his mental stability even with some of the stuff that he puts out and i mean some people said you know you should be the speaker for this movement the voice and i was like there's no way um when they've got some of those people in there that you know are putting out these these wild messages. Um, there's no way that I can be responsible for that and have my name, name tied to that as much as I want to support you guys and love you guys. And I believe that Tamara did this very altruistically. I don't think there was any, I mean, I talked to Tamara at the beginning of this. It was chaotic. Like it was not like, hey, let's, let's raise $10 million, right? And fund a political movement. That's not what it was like at all. It was like, uh, you know, hectic phone calls, um, trying just to get CB radio chats together, uh, trying to get communication in between the convoys. Like it it was a mess, right? Everybody thinks it was this slick, well-oiled movement that was so well-planned. It wasn't. I don't think, (laughs) I haven't met anyone that thinks that. Chaotic grass. No, well, no, that's what people were accused of though, right? Like that was put out there that, you know, there was some ulterior motives. Like I can remember Gerald Butts at the beginning retweeting an article and the article said you know that this was the ulterior motive was for um the maverick party so that's the party that tamara was associated with the federal party that i ran with that it was just to fund the maverick party so that alberta could separate from canada i was like that's bonkers like that's that had nothing to do with anything right but a lot of people were suggesting that you know there were ulterior motives and I do agree that unfortunately and I think I don't think this is unique to this it's any movement you look at Black Lives Matter you look at the LGBTQ movement any movement out there when it gets powerful enough is going to be co-opted and groups that have their own political agenda are going to try to own it and further their own agenda and can, I, can, can I interject for a second and tell you why I think that happens? Because I think you're right about what you just said. It's Absolutely. because every movement goes through a phase where they're infallible. They cannot be criticized. With Black Lives Matter, you couldn't criticize them. The media wouldn't let you criticize them. Um, they, were, they were raising $100 million in 2020. And then when the dust settled, you found out that a bunch of them at the top were stealing that money and buying real estate. And so those of us that were criticizing them at the time who were being called racist were are now sitting there. And I didn't do this because I honestly, I can't even be bothered anymore to try to like point out that other people were wrong about that kind of shit. But it's like, you know, as soon as a, a, a movement um, reaches that 
that subliminally like infallible status, I'm out. I check out. The convoy um, became this thing, as far as I could tell. And again, I just want to reiterate again that I agree with both of you. It was largely peaceful in the sense that it was fairly nonviolent. I think that if Black Lives Matter took over Parliament Hill, it would have been kind of a different outcome um, with the cops anyways. But whatever. Um, this is This was what it was. But there was a point there where it was like, you, if you supported the convoy, you couldn't, it, it, like there was no criticism that they would ever accept. There was literally nothing that they would accept as, as viable criticism. And, and when I saw that happening, it reminded me of Black Lives Matter. It reminded me of, um, of like certain environmental groups that protest. It reminded me of the, uh, you know, the Israeli-Palestinian protests that happened at the same time in Toronto sometime. And I was just like, well, wait a second. Don't, like, can these people throw the obvious bad elements in their convoy under the bus? Can can they admit that maybe there's people there with unsettling views? Can they maybe admit that there is a can, there's a strain of this movement that is like fundamentalist, scary Jesus freaks? No, they couldn't. And 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 I think the polarization in this country made it like a perfect ecosystem for something like that to happen. Um, I want to go back to to what you said about uh, Trudeau and being known as like a dictator worldwide. He he invoked the Emergencies Act for what six days, something like that. I mean, are we going to protest about those six days in six years, or are we going to be like, let's get on with it? I'm going to address that to Andy, and then we'll go to you, David. Well, I mean, I don't think that we're we're protesting because he did that, or anything. We're protesting because we still have our fellow citizens who don't have mobility rights, the same mobility rights. Even though, I mean, you know what? I got. I got two shots. I waited uh, almost six months in between my shots. I didn't do anything according to guidelines. I'm, I'm questioning my booster if they're going to mandate it for me. And you know what? Uh, as far as I'm concerned, my vaccine has waned. I might have a certain degree of long-term protection. That's what the studies show. But let's face it, as far as like transmission and reception right now, and, and you know, there's very limited study on on whether I'm actually should be considered vaccinated, but I've got rights that other people don't have, right? That that's a massive problem for me. Um, but it's, it's but how many dictators are in the world then? Like how many dictators now exist because of COVID? Well, uh, here's the better question: Is why doesn't he just drop them? Right? Why doesn't he follow what other people around the world are doing? What's the motive? What are we doing here? Uh, you know, is well, that's, it but but. But there's a lot of other countries that have certain uh, restrictions in place for vaccinations. There's a lot of countries that won't let you in. One of the things about the convoy protest that bothered me was that despite the fact that Trudeau had uh, the truckers, uh, there was like a, a, actually, let me rephrase. The Biden administration said truckers can't come to our country if they're not vaccinated. Right around the time that the protests started to happen, but I never heard, saw one sign that said "fuck Biden." Well, I mean, you know, if if you want me to say it, I'll say it. Fuck Biden, do. I mean, like, I mean, if you really want somebody to say it, I'll say it. I mean, right. he, he just did an emergency order begging for energy because his country's about to run out of energy. So okay, yeah. okay, but but let's get back to it though, because what I'm saying to you is, is that there was. Why, um, why, did, why did Trudeau become the focus? Well, I think. Hold that, on. 
I want to just like we'll deal with that in a second. I want to reconcile one thing first, though. Do you, like the protesters, therefore, didn't seem very informed to me, and that's one of the reasons why I didn't take it very seriously. It's like they're they're fuck Trudeau signs, and I couldn't tell if half of them wanted to have sex with them or just didn't like them. Um, but you know, uh, but the idea that they were so uninformed that they didn't even realize that the mandate for truckers not being allowed to go in the United States was a Biden administration decision. Trudeau may have mirrored it, but it didn't matter. If Trudeau said, okay, you don't got to get vaccinated, the United States still wouldn't have let those truckers in. Well, like I said, I think it, it morphed, you know, it, it morphed from being, you know, um, what was called an anti-vaccination movement. I don't really like to use the term anti-vaxxers, but I think it morphed from having these mandates into travel mandates into a broader protest against um, you know, lockdown measures and and things like that, and all these things. And I mean, I question lockdown measures. I do absolutely because right now we're open, we're unmasked. Um, where is the spike, right? I mean, shouldn't we all be shouldn't we all be hospitalized by now? But didn't we? But didn't we? Weren't we all playing a game where none of us really knew what was going to happen? Like you, like it was. It's fine to say lockdowns impin, or, um, you know, make me less free, take away my liberty, and all that kind of stuff. But what if it like, what if a bunch of unvaccinated people just died? Then you guys would have to sit there and go, "Oh, it looks like we were wrong about that." You didn't know that you were right at the time. You just thought you were. And if you're a leader of a government, are you deferring to cabinet? Are you deferring to health experts? Like, what would you do in that situation if a leader, like, what is a leader supposed to do? Let's put it that way. Like, how do you follow a science that's fluid? I think we had, I think we had different countries to look to, though, right? So, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't unique that people were dropping max, uh, vaccine mandates and, and masking and, and opening up society. You know, I mean, it's not like we were the first and we were trying to break ground and be the first to get out of this. Um, so, you know, we, we had data, right? I mean, like, where's the data that supports masking on airplanes right now? I'm sorry. You know, we were told all along when nobody was vaccinated at the peak of pandemic during Delta that air travel was perfectly safe. That was what our public health authorities told us, right? That transmission aboard aircraft is very, very low. So now all of a sudden, most of us are vaccinated and we have to wear masks and we're being told that the transmission risk is high. Like, I'm sorry, that, that's bollocks, right? Like, there's no science behind that. I don't believe that at all. I don't believe that for a minute. I think that, that you know, this is some sort of an extended punishment against the people who chose not to get vaccinated. And you know what? I made a different choice uh, based on my own personal health, you know, risk versus benefit assessment. Um, but I, I just can't get on board with this, especially when it's looking increasingly like, you know, it, it may be sort of punitive, I, I have to have, you know, that's my sense is that it's punitive at this point because these people embarrass uh, might be government. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. 
We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Right? I think that governments are largely incompetent. And I think that what you saw was a government that didn't know what to do. Almost like every other government on the planet. I think a lot of those mandates that were dropped in other countries were just like, let's just see what happens. I don't think they knew what was going to happen if they dropped the mandates. David, you've been to countries that have actual dictators. Can you tell me the difference between Trudeau and those countries? Well, as to both your points, I mean, I agree. Some of these mandates that are lingering um, are probably excessive and, and um, I don't agree with them. However, um, as James points out, I mean, we didn't know what this was going to become and, and, you know, Healthcare professionals still don't really understand what it's mutating into, quite possibly. So uh, all governments at that point were kind of like, uh, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, it's difficult. Um, we do need to remove some of these mandates. Uh, governments understand, by and large, now that masking uh, doesn't have enough of an effect probably in in most everyday situations to be effective but what if what if because of the way this virus mutates uh, because of maybe something they expect to come again uh, they don't really have any effective uh, situations like masking or hand washing it's a security blanket in in my opinion at this point that's all it is um doesn't mean we shouldn't be careful. Doesn't mean that we uh, we shouldn't take uh, reasonable precautions. But I think these mandates, such as that, I, I don't. I think the benefit has, as unless it's purely a psychological benefit for people to make them feel comfortable, I think its benefit is not completely fallen off, but waned significantly. And um, okay, as to your point also get- about closing the borders, mm-hmm. you're correct. It's it's you know here's the mandate you can either take it and continue to earn a living because if you don't they're not going to let you in that's true for a lot of countries by the way you can't get into almost like a ton of countries unless you're vaccinated and before no, covid you, you couldn't go to you stuff. couldn't yeah. you, before covid you couldn't go to kenya without sure. getting a malaria shot i've been to kenya you know? right i've been i've been throughout africa i know that they have mandatory vaccinations but let's get real about what those vaccinations are Uh, A lot of them are eradicating vaccines in that you are basically guaranteed to be protected from these viruses if you get them. Whereas, But did you study the science of the malaria vaccine before you went? This is a little bit, no, no, I didn't study the, you know, the science of it, but I I was fairly sure that if I got the vaccine, I wouldn't get malaria, right? Um, Just like if I get a tetanus shot, I'm probably not going to get tetanus. Just like if I get a polio shot, I'm never going to get polio. So I think that's the problem is that that so many people have is that, you know, it's sort of like we're asking you to take this, but we're not giving you any guarantees behind it, right? We have that. It's called the flu shot. They do that for that too, right? The efficacy rate of the flu shot is usually between 20 and 40%, right? 
But it's like, do you have a right to mandate something that's not an eradicating vaccine when you're not giving out those those same sort of health guarantees? Is that a fair I don't know thing I... to try to sort of coerce people and force them into doing because that's what you want them to do? So I think that's the issue with these, right? And you know what? We might get better vaccines. I heard that we might get a better vaccine in the fall. You know what? If we get a super Omicron vaccine in the fall that that works really well, maybe I'll relook at getting booster. But like I said, am I going to get the same vaccine that they say only lasts for, you know, uh, a couple of months and has limited efficacy? No, I'm not going to get it. Sorry. But do you (laughs) at least acknowledge, do you at least acknowledge that um, if there was no vaccine at all, and we just dealt with COVID that the death rate would have been a lot higher? Oh yeah, absolutely. I've never, like, I'm not, a, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I've always acknowledged that. And I've said before many times that I wish people wanted to get vaccinated and I wish that they believed in it. And I feel like a lot of the reason that people ended up not believing in it was failure on part of public health and messaging and things like that. I feel like there was a huge failure and that helped fuel um, people who didn't want vaccination. So it was always very clear that I felt that, you know, especially in at-risk groups, there was a huge benefit and studies still show that in hospitalizations and severe outcomes, people who have got at least two doses do better. That's that's in the data, right? But just because that's in the data doesn't mean that I'm going to say, hey, you know what? You should be stuck inside your country indefinitely and you shouldn't get to fly across your country because, you know, you feel like you don't need a, a vaccine for something that you've got a very good chance of recovering from. Right. So I, I just yeah. like, I don't I don't deny those those outcomes. Those those are in the studies. Right. Um, but okay. I do. question boosters. David, let me let me go. Just for a second. Even the WHO put out mm. a statement that I put out the other day saying. Oh, you know, trust the WHO? Yeah, well, I, I, I don't mean, even I don't even trust the WHO. I don't trust the WHO. But I'm saying even they put out a statement saying that boosters have to be tailored. They have to look at local responses. They have to look at risk versus benefit, and they have to look at what demographic. And that there's very very limited um, data saying that in a young healthy population, boosters are effective and warranted. That's the WHO, not me. So, the interesting <laughs> thing though about what you're about what you're saying though is that. If in five years a new disease comes out, we are going to be in the precarious position again to make a vaccine on the fly. And I don't know if we like, you know, if, if we're ready for that. David, I want to just kind of um, go to you for a second because I want to know from your perspective and from the operatives that you were mentioning before and the church and everything like that, how was COVID itself co opted? in order to steer and sort of manipulate the situation, if you happen to even feel that that's what happened. I, I feel like COVID was politicized by everybody, personally. It, I'm just it wondering. Definitely was. Absolutely. Um, these brethren, for instance, they they will not acknowledge COVID's existence. It, to them, it doesn't exist. It's it's um, It was a profit opportunity. Um, so they imported uh, their equipment, their, <laughs> their wholesale crap from China, and uh, right where the virus is from, of course. Um, and then they sell it for profit here, but they're deniers. And, and by and large, you'll find that a lot of the um, religious fanaticism, uh, those people who are politically active, who overwhelmingly happen to be uh, identify as this uh, conservative movement 
And again, I take pains to say I don't believe it's the entire conservative party. I think it's been hijacked by by these neocons. And and uh, uh, truthfully, it's uh, <sighs> these people don't even believe in COVID. So naturally, their political beliefs. Um, I don't know how they do the mental gymnastics, how they can profiteer off of it um, and uh, and and not believe. But uh, that's the mindset they're coming from. I do agree. I think it's excessive. I think it's overkill that uh, the 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 unvaccinated can't travel. I, I, I mean, it's uh, but then again, I don't have hold of, of certain data and I'm by no means an expert. I mean, I, I wish the, these mandates would be dropped, but that's just me speaking as 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 John Q public, I, I have no, no information that I could enlighten you with. Okay. Um, let's move on. I want to know, Andy, what is this? <laughs> well, that, that's the great mystery of the day. So I put it out there um, because I was sent it. And um, so I had put out and I put this out independently. I'm not associated with anybody. I'm not affiliated with anybody. I just said, I'm going to go pitch a tent on Parliament Hill um, in protest on Canada Day. I, I'm not, you know, affiliated with any groups. There's no foreign funding or anything behind me. Um, so, mm-hmm. um, so. But what if you want the big tent? This thing, you want a big tent, then you might, you might have to reconsider. People offered. They were like, "Let's get a GoFundMe going." I was like, "No funding, right? Um, absolutely not." And so I made this promise a year ago. Actually, I said, "If we're not all free in a year." I was going to go to Parliament Hill and protest and pitch a tent. And I actually think I said at the time that I would go um, wearing nothing but our Canadian flag. Um, and that got a lot of attention. So, but that's not my plans anymore. Um, so anyways, so, uh, so I've been talking you, to... You listen, your credibility might be impacted, Andy, if you don't go naked with a flag. I'm just throwing that out there. Listen, you promised to go wearing nothing but the Canadian flag. So you go wearing nothing but the Canadian flag. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, so so um so I've been talking to James Top a little bit. Um, you know, he's the soldier who's marching across Canada. Um, so he actually said that he has not agreed to this event. So it looks like my sort of idea of let's camp, and like I said, I'm not affiliated with anybody. There's no, you know, politicians saying, Will you do this and try to take Trudeau down or anything? That was just me saying, This is what I'm gonna do. I don't care if I do it alone, uh, I don't care if I get a ticket. Uh, if you wanna come, come. And, and join me. And, you know, I don't even want to call it a protest. I want to call it just a different celebration. Because after I started saying this, of course, we know that the parliamentary precincts, um, you know, the West Block, uh, apparently they had to do construction all of a sudden on Canada Day weekend. And so Canada Day celebrations were moved to a different location. They're not at Parliament this hill, hill this year for the first time in who knows how long. So everybody's like, you shut, you shut down Parliament Hill. So I was like, well, I'm going to go anyways. Um, especially if they shut it down just to try to make me not come. Now I'm going to come uh, and I'm going to bring more people with me. Um, so, so anyways, um, so yeah, it looks like maybe some, some groups have maybe co-opted that movement um, and they came up with their own camp days. So I don't know a lot about this right now. Um, and like I said, I spoke to James Top, so he's a soldier. He also didn't agree to um, speak to that yet. He might agree in the future. Um, but just to, to clarify that, that's not his, um, you know, his sort of outfit. It's not what he's doing. And I mean, this is the sort of thing that we're talking about is how somebody can take my words where I'm just like, I'm going to go, I'm going to pitch a tent, join me. Um, and somebody can take that and sort of use that idea 
and then attach somebody's name to it. Furthermore, right? And, um, you know, co-op these movements. And like I said, and I told James, I just got off the phone with some of the people who are with him. I'm like, do not let any freedom group, uh, even not myself, attach our names to your movement. It's your movement. It's your mission. You have the plan. You've done the work. You've been marching every day. Um, so do not let any group use and manipulate your name and, and let your message be manipulated. Or before you know it, you know what? You'll get Chris Guy up speaking for you, right? This is what happens. This well, is what happens. Also, maybe if you if you have the ear, if you have the ear of the people that are going there that you believe have the the correct passion and, and views or whatever you want to call it, maybe stop <laughs> with like the fuck Trudeau flags. Like maybe their problem is their th themselves often. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, 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 because I, I tell you, like I, I may have uttered the phrase fuck Harper before. I have certainly been like really critical of Justin Trudeau. I call him a cupcake. I think he's like a third rate soap opera actor in every syllable he utters. I don't find him genuine. I think he's dishonest. I have a whole laundry list of things. I've never voted for him. I voted for, sorry, a liberal MP who turned out to uh, be um, the, uh, I think he set a record in his first term for the most times that a government backbenching MP voted against his own government. It was like 34 times, and that's Nathaniel Erskine-Smith. So that, to me, was a good vote. Um, I just don't understand why I would ever take anyone seriously if they're draping a flag over their back that says, fuck Trudeau. What, what, what is that? You know, I don't really like the fuck Trudeau signs. Like, it's nothing that I would ever fly. I have a, a huge problem with the people who do the, you know, the swastika syringe signs. Um, I hate those. I think it's extremely disrespectful to the Jewish community, um, you know, to, to make that comparison, um, you know, or to, or to, you know, insinuate that. I find that super disrespectful. I find it like, but I mean, you know, I, I'm not I'm not the thought police. I'm not the free speech police, right? Um, if you want to fly a fuck Trudeau flag, I'm not going to tell you that you can't do it. I don't like it because here's why. I think it's detrimental to the purpose. I think it's more damaging. And as soon as we can define the purpose, we'll be right on track. No, I just, I think whatever the cause, it doesn't matter what the cause is. It doesn't matter if you're there for uh, dropping mandates. It doesn't matter what the cause is. I think that when you, you know, you put out that sort of messaging, like, oh, let's put it, let's look at the, um, the Trudeau protest the other day. So there was the, the big protest and I debunked that too. Um, the one where he said that he wouldn't go, uh, he wouldn't speak because there was anti-Asian uh, racism. Okay, so right, I, I saw that. Yeah, but the, the article, the article didn't just to give people background. The article didn't actually like I think it was a CBC article, and they didn't actually give an example of what racism was there. No, and that was the problem. And so I actually got a hold of uh, two hours of footage processed, and I watched all of it, and I said I didn't see any of that. I saw bad things. I saw ugly things. What kind saw, of bad and ugly things did you see? Well, I mean, like, you know, yelling and, 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 and screaming and swearing, um, you know, just, just... Like the way that Jugmeet Singh was treated when he was in Peterborough, that kind of thing? Yeah, and like I said, uh, and there was, of course, a guy with the news there, and I was the first got, person to point out there's somebody walking around with the news, and I think that that's extremely inappropriate. Uh, again, am I the thought police? Am I the free speech police? No, I'm not. Right. I'm not going to pretend that I'm going to be here to censor your message. But I will say that when you carry signs like that, 
I feel like it diminishes your message and it detracts from it and it's not beneficial in any way, right? So that's why I disagree with it. So, uh, you know, it's not my favorite thing uh, to see. And like I said, even, you know, uh, you know, like I said, these these signs where, and even when they compare, um, you know, I saw a lot of signs comparing Canada to to uh, communist countries. And I never like to do that because I feel like if you're in, hold on. I mean, my hold children on, are Chinese, on. right? I can't even wait, wait, wait. China. Just one second. Just one second. So bad communist country. No, no, I won't stand for that. Um, but Trudeau's a dictator. <laughs> So he's what a fascist? I, what, what, I don't know if I've ever actually called him a dictator. I think I said I think I said today that he has a problem with democracy, or he should he should give an honest democracy a try. Um, you know, I do I do feel like Trudeau has got yeah. I think he's leaning towards increasing authoritarianism, and I don't like it. Um, I think it's a bit of a democratic backsliding that we've seen in our country. I think that's hard to to deny. Um, and would it have happened under under any other government? I don't know, right? Is it is it um, a symptom of the circumstances of the pandemic, or is it Trudeau, right? I, I think it's a combination of both. I think there's a little bit of nanny state in him where he thinks he has to like take care of us with Bill C eleven and the online stuff and everything. David, do you think that if um, do you think the operation, if you want to call it that, of sort of steering the convoy and to you know and to and to utilize them as a voting pool at the end of the day to in order to gain power? Is that over, or are we going to see another iteration of that? Absolutely. Up between now it's it's a moving target. Absolutely. You, you jump in. By nature, it's an opportunist business. You jump in when something gets a little traction. That's when you throw your muscle behind it. And you, and you just mentioned that particular bill about the online content. Have you noticed where the Ontario and, and, and other province, uh, provinces uh, gambling is heading? It's not brick and mortar. It's online gaming, online gaming, which is largely funded by Russian money that is pouring in, pouring in. And this is demonstrably true and provable by simply looking at all of the business of the province. Just pull it up. Take a look. Yeah. Um, I don't know anything about that, <laughs> but, but I will certainly look it up. Um, I, a quick question, just because it popped in my head. Andy, you said the other day, maybe it was yesterday, I can't remember when it was, um, that you regretted donating to the convoy in a Twitter space thing. Why do you regret donating to the convoy? Do I regret donating to it? Didn't you say that in a Twitter space conversation recently? Well, I'm not sure if I said that I regret it. Um, I think the problem is, is that what happened is, yeah, so I mean, you know, I, I'm not like a seasoned journalist, right? I just started doing this. I started doing this out of nowhere, right? I don't have any training. Um, you know, I was sort of just motivated to start reporting and things like that and, and did it on my own. Um, so I think the problem with me, and I'm, I'm doing it again here when I'm saying I'm going to go camp out on Parliament Hill, um, is that uh, I get too close and too involved in these causes and, and I really let them touch me. And I got really emotional and really attached to them, um, you know, and, and I root for them. And I like to think that, you know, in the, in the sense of the convoy, that I was rooting for the right thing, because I think that it was in Canada's best interest that that went well, that it was peaceful, um, that it was a powerful demonstration, you know, that it, it you know, that it tried to um, accomplish its objectives. 
And I thought that that was in the country's best interest and everybody's best interest. Nobody wanted to see violence. Nobody wanted to see it go badly. That would have been horrific. Um, you know, so, so, you know, but I do tend to, you know, uh, sort of attach myself to these causes and they get a little bit, I get a little bit too close. I do it not just with this. Like, I mean, you know, I've got a really good um, uh, talk with the uh, Iranian community going on. I go down to Toronto. I march against the IRGC um, while I cover these things, right? Is it appropriate for me to be um, reporting and protesting? Probably not. No, no, no. it's not. But you know what? Again, <laughs> I'm, doing this. I'm doing this myself, though. Nobody's paying me, right? I'm not CBC. Nobody's funding me, so I'm like. Yeah, but if you were familiar, though, like, like, listen, I'm not even, I'm, I'm not mad at you for it or anything. Like, you know, now magazine, now magazine will go protest against uh, the Israeli government while reporting it. I don't like it though because your objectivity comes into question. Yeah, no, absolutely, that's fair, right? But I mean, to be fair, I did, um, you know, I did report on bad things that happened in the convoy, right? Um, You know, I, I reported on the. uh, apparent homeless shelter assault. Uh, I said to donate to that shelter. Um, you know, I, I I had people out cleaning out statues. I was taking pictures of them and saying, you know what, you guys are going to go clean this up, right? Uh, go get off that war memorial. I'm sorry, my family served. Uh, you know, that's totally not appropriate. And it, it did happen. And I was, you know, very, very vocal about not going after the journalists who were there. I just said, what we're seeing, this footage, is horrific. Um, I do see journalists being harassed and chased. It's totally detrimental to the cause. You're not scoring any points. Uh, I Even at the Rolling Thunder protest, I came across the BBC, and people uh, noticed them and were going after them, and I just said, you know what? Don't. You're not winning. Yeah, I, Don't do I, it. I think mm-hmm. one of the things I want to, like, I want to sort of, like, talk about a little bit um and and we're gonna wrap in the next like seven minutes or so but um is the i i like what you're saying now are you you're a little bit more snarky on twitter than you are in real life which i totally get most people are i'm actually, um, actually like you know. a liberal i'm a liberal okay i'm a liberal trapped in a conservative <laughs> body because i hate justin trudeau it's terrible like i just feel I like i don't know I'm, if you're a liberal <laughs> i don't even know what that is anymore i used to be I, I'm a, I, I want to know if you saw I'm going to play something and I want to know if you've seen it before sure. and I want to know what your thoughts are about it. Okay. I, well, I let her leave. Can you let her leave? Can she leave? No, she had her opportunity. This is the Hamilton police arresting me for political dissent. When you're under arrest, you can don't I please give property. him my phone, please? Can I give him my phone, please? No, you cannot. This is a reflection of what Can I give him my phone, please? No, you cannot. Can I give him my phone, please? Yeah. Yeah, you know what? I've had run-ins with her, and, you know, initially, uh, my snarkiness, the snarky person in me, wanted to be like, because she was out there um, and sort of, um, you know, I, I would say that we probably had the opposite of objectives. Whereas I wanted to root for the best in the convoy. I felt that sometimes she wanted to root for the worst in the convoy. Um, so we were a bit on opposite sides. And so, you know, I wanted to be satisfied that that happened. But I actually did make a comment on her later. And I said, you know what, um, I actually, you've got a lot of spunk. 
um, you know, you're funny, you get out there, you're on the ground. Um, and you know, she, I'm she's actually, non-combative. She, I'm actually really, non-combat, you know, you know, yeah. so I felt well, that and my initial, my initial response, because we're on political opposite sides was to, you know, lash out at her and to be I like, don't think she's the opposite of a liberal, you know, but I, I do, you know, that was ugly. And you know what? It, it could be me in handcuffs next time. Right. Let's face it. That's, that's where we're at. So, I mean, yeah. this is, this is what it's come to is, you know, all of us sort of have this danger of, of being censored, being deplatformed, um, you know, receiving backlash for, for what we're doing. Uh, you know, it can hit any of us. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, David, David, I want to, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but uh, just before, before we run out of time here, um, the media, David, um, you have been um, pretty outspoken, as I have, about the mainstream media being asleep at the switch intentionally. Um, they don't want to touch the stories that we've been breaking and Press Progress has been breaking and others about um, some of the stuff that seems a little bit more scary. And um, and then you see, uh, and I know Karima wears a lot of hats. She's she's a lawyer. Um, I would say she's an advocate. Um She's a journalist. As far as I'm concerned, the woman needs a cape because I find her to be super brave and um, and and inspiring and aspirational and all that stuff. But is the mainstream media have, have? Yeah, yeah, right. And, and has the mainstream media now painted itself into a corner where it it is sort of like um, hoist hoisted by its own petard in how they decided um, these are the issues we're going to cover. And we're not going to cover these issues. And if we cover those issues, we're going to frame it in the most negative way possible. And these issues we're going to frame in the most positive way possible. Can they get out of that now? How would that look? And do you think they're ever going to cover the stories that have come out of the Klondike papers? I think um, from the numbers that are being shared with me by people like yourself and other journalists, people are talking about this. It's getting out. Um, And there are other ways to ensure that gets out all of it. And those steps have been taken. Um, so they're getting out one way or the other. And I think they'll jump on it. Um, honestly, because I think the country needs it. Um, I'm not a liberal again. I'm not a conservative. What I'm trying to say is that these aren't liberals or conservatives that we're really talking about. These are these are, uh, these are bad actors. These are people who, who are seditionists and, and, and had treasonous motivations. Um, it's not a political thing. This is a criminal thing. And and we need to root these people out so we can go back to actually having a conservative movement and a liberal movement. The bad actors need to be pulled out, out of the field. And I think that that is taking place. I think we need to give mainstream some credit. Um, there are facets of this story that they have pieces of that they're, they're, they're building out their stories with. So we do have to give them some real credit. And... Um, you know, a lot of those journalists are probably sitting back and saying, hey, these people are doing it. They're nailing it out of the park and they're doing a lot of the heavy lifting so we can come in and, and we can join into the story. I mean, um, mainstream media is sort of like a big warship. It doesn't turn on a dime. It takes a little time. So, yeah, I think we're going to get there. Um and I think these people are going to be pulled out. And I think then maybe we can go back to being a country, one country, not not divided right down the middle. I would agree with that. Um, Andy, do you have any last words that you want to say just before we go? Any no. clarifications? Can you tell me why um, uh, 
Um, I just I can't stop looking at your knees. <laughs> they're sticking out of your jeans. Yeah, my knees. <laughs> well, they're, they're never mind. Never mind. I, I That's a very strange right. fetish, my friend. They're just knees. I didn't say anything bad, did I? I don't know. Yeah. You're my first guest is to to put her knees up, and, and now I'm just all confused, right? So now do you have that anything to say? Yeah, that was a very loaded loaded line there. Okay, yeah. I'll turn it back to you. Uh, your hair looks Fabio. I mean, fabulous. It looks amazing. Yeah, no, no, I think it's good. So, like I said, I'm I'm thinking that I I called Ottawa police today. Um, I tried to be upfront with them about what was going on. Like I said, I don't know exactly what's showing up to Ottawa, Canada Day. Uh, I know that I'll be there. I know that there's going to be a lot of people there. I know that James Top is going to be rolling in. So, um, you know, and we're already seeing the same sort of media suppression. I mean, this guy just walked across Canada. He walked across Canada in February in minus 20 weather across the prairies. Right? For what, like, For what though? What was his man? What was it? Because let me tell you something. I, I, I don't care if you guys go and protest. I like, hold on a second. I like, I like, I like peaceful protests. One second. I like, I like peaceful protests. I don't care if you guys protest. But the last protest, whatever you want to call that, had no message that anybody that wasn't there could, could really understand. It was a salad bar of why do I hate Justin Trudeau? And if you said anything from mandates to socks, you're welcome aboard. It was an anti-Trudeau protest. That's all it was. And, and, and that's fine if you want to do that. What is this protest going to be about? What is? Okay, so this is James Top. So James Top is a warrant officer and he was let go because he didn't have vaccinations. So you can go on his website. He's got a very clear letter. He's actually got a successful meeting planned with several members of parliament to talk about how we move forward and how we sort of get out of this, you know, never ending, rolling, constant restrictions, right? And and how we sort of don't uh, allow our freedoms to be taken away again. So anyways, you know, it's, it's all out there. So, I mean, but anyways, so, you know, we're seeing the same thing as that it's sort of like, we don't cover this it's not going to happen well it's going to happen so i talked to ottawa police today i just warned them i was like you know he's coming uh, i'm coming there's a lot of people coming apparently so what's the game plan so I'm, i mean i guess that's next step forward is you know i'll be in ottawa maybe we can touch base while i'm in ottawa on canada day and we can find out what's going let's on let's do shrooms do you want to do shrooms together because i would do that i would go to ottawa to do shrooms I mean, yeah, I mean, it's not really my okay. thing. Um, it would oh, be, it will be. We'll it have a great be, old time. Yeah. It would be something new to me. Um, I, I like to try to stay. Uh, is that legal? Is it yes. Legal? As long as there's no follow-up questions, then yes. Yes, the <laughs> shrooms are legal. <laughs> I, mean, I, would, I usually say that, try to stay into, like, within legal behavior, although I, I seem to be towing the line as to, you know, what that is nowadays. Ah. So, we'll go to the reserve, we'll grab an ounce of shrooms, and uh, we'll split them in two, and we'll have a good time. How's that? Okay, well, yeah, I mean, like I said, I wouldn't know about that. <laughs> I'd be much more down for, for, you know, having a beer and having a dance on, on Parliament Hill. And, uh, shrooms it is. <laughs> I mean, live, live life, right? Uh, go outside the box, I guess. All right, all right. I'll be on shrooms. Um, but listen, uh, it was nice having it was nice having you, David. We're gonna talk tonight, probably on the phone, so uh, we won't make it an emotional goodbye. But thank you both for coming. I hope you'll come back. This was pretty painless, right? I didn't like insult you too much. Sorry about the knees. I didn't realize that knees were a gratuitous topic to talk about. I wasn't trying to be all like, you know. But you're 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 fucking blushing over your knees. God damn it! When did knees become breasts? They're just knees. Like, all right, guys. Um. It was still fun. 
I had a good no, time. No, it was good. No, I, I was a little bit worried when you were like, I'm going to bring on somebody else. I was like, oh my God, is this like a trap? Is it a pile on? What's going to happen? But well, listen, in full disclosure, Andy, I was going to bring on Ryan Lindley until I found out that you guys basically declared war on each other. And I was like, I don't know. Yeah, see, you don't even remember the people that you de- that you have wars with. I don't. Twi- that's what it is. You, when you go on Twitter, it's like Andy Lee on bath salts, and then when you're off Twitter, you're just a lovely Andy Lee. I think that's what's happened. Who is he? <laughs> what did I do to him? Is he okay? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you guys should talk, uh, Ryan, Andy. Maybe you guys can, uh, you know, maybe. fight after the show. I don't know. Maybe. Well, maybe we should okay. come on and we can hash it out one time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd invite him on right this second if he would do it, but he's probably not going to do it. He could yeah. come in right now if he wanted to. Let's give it 10 seconds, see if he comes, and if he doesn't, <laughs> and then we'll just... Ashley, is Ryan going to come on? Ashley's in the comments. She can just say yes or no. I actually don't really No, it doesn't look like it. It really but doesn't I look do, like it. I do have a tendency to, like, set somebody in my crosshairs, and if I find something on them, I'll... I, I can be a real sniper, right? That's what I'm known for. But I'm actually used to be, like, a totally normal person. You know I can still see your right knee. Can you do something about that, please? No, the other. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Maybe Ryan's on my knees and, and he'd forgive me. I'm recently separated. Maybe I saw knees and just got a little like, oh my gosh, stop it. That's distracting. I have to do a job here, Andy. Well, there'll please. be a lot more knees on Canada Day. So, you know what? If you're watching this, you want to come out, come on out, right? Like I said, I'm going to be there. Means. I can't. <laughs> I got to go because I'm, there's too many bad jokes in my head. Okay. Andy okay. Lee, thank you very much for joining okay. us. I'll see you online, I'm sure. And yeah. uh, thank you very much for coming. And David, as always, thank you very much. I'll probably give you a call in about a half an hour and we can go over some stuff. Um, and thank you for joining us. Um, I think that went pretty well. Um, I mean, I, I disagreed with a bunch of stuff that was said. Um, and I didn't find her disagreeable. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's one of those things. I, I find uh, just a, just to put a bow on what we were talking about. Um, if you find yourself uh, a convoy protester who's enamored by Pierre Poiliev, then the political operation was a success. That's just my opinion. Um, you can agree or disagree. Either way, um, that's that. So tomorrow night we have Tom Doyle, who was the right-hand man of who I consider the greatest Canadian heavyweight boxer of all time, George Chavallo, as well as Mitch Chavallo, who is George's only surviving son. He's had so much tragedy in that family. Um, three kids, uh, either two OD'd, one committed suicide, and his wife committed suicide. So four people in his immediate family have died of, of either overdoses or suicides. Uh, but he's going to come and talk to us about uh, the life and career and the family life of George Chavalo. So that's tomorrow at seven o'clock. And then on Monday, I have Simon Rakoff, who's a great Canadian comedian. And I have an announcement, guys. Do you guys remember the We Run Shit documentary that we did? Uh, I think it was like a week and a half ago. Adam Scorgi has agreed to come on Blackball next week, either Thursday or Friday. And we are going to do his weed documentary, which name escapes me right now, but we're going to do it in the same format where we're going to play the film we're going to stop it at certain points. Adam's going to tell us the backstory of that scene. It's a documentary about weed. It should be fun. Let's all get high. Let's all watch Adam Scorchy's documentary. So that's all coming up next week on Blackball. Once again, thank you everyone for joining me and we will see you tomorrow. Blackball. Black, 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 black,
show called The Boiling Point with my co-host Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Kids, I'm your eager beaver. And I'm Mr. Grizzly. If you love politics, or hate politics, then have we we the perfect perfect podcast for you. The True North Eager Beaver. Incisive political commentary. We keep you up to date. And give you the political and media literacy you seek. To help you cut through the bovine fecal matter. Facts first. Sound analysis. Sometimes I growl. Sometimes I sass. We impart civics and build community. And we share some laughs along the way. Being informed. And engaged has never been more fabulous. Or sexy. Catch us on, on the Dean Blundell, Blundell Network. Network. Or on our YouTube channel. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Because, because democracy, democracy is, is something, something you do. do.